0: Welcome to season two of Make and Multiply. My name is Ryan Chase. I'm one of the elders at Emmaus Road Church, and it's been a while since I've put together one of these podcasts, but I thought it would be a good time to launch a second season, and I'm excited about where we're gonna go in this season. So let me explain. Paul Tripp has said before that sin is antisocial. That is, our sin is first and foremost against God vertically, but sin has this destructive effect on relationships horizontally as well. Sin is antisocial. Uh, just think about the sins that Paul lists when he gives examples of the works of the flesh in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. L- listen to these sins and uh, think about how many of these are sins that are committed in community, in relationships, Sins that are not committed merely in secret, but they are sins uh, committed with or against someone else. Paul says the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and things like these. Even if you could carry out some of those in secret, it's going to have a devastating effect on people in your life. Sin is antisocial. A more extreme way to say that is that sin is cannibalistic. If you back up a few verses in Galatians 5, Galatians 5, 14 through 15, Paul says, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. That language of biting, devouring, consuming, Paul is describing a community that's cannibalizing itself, which is a disgusting picture. As sin is disgusting, and it has a disgusting effect on community. So, sin is antisocial, it's cannibalistic, but the good news is that through the gospel, Jesus Christ actually creates this glorious community of redeemed and transformed people. And so that community of redeemed and transformed people is a redeemed and transformed community. The relationships within that community are different because of the work of God in the hearts of his people. Here's how John writes about it in 1 John 1, verse 7. He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I find that to be a surprising phrase. I would expect John to say something like, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with God. And that's certainly true. And John mentions that elsewhere. But right here, he doesn't point out the fellowship we have with God although we do he points out the fellowship that we have with one another as we walk in the light so in community with each other uh, sin puts us out of fellowship with each other through the the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy of God available to us in the blood of Jesus which cleanses us from all sin we Are restored into fellowship with one another, and we're able to walk in the light. As we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So, the key to fellowship with each other is understanding the gospel, believing the gospel, being reconciled to God first and foremost. And as we're reconciled to God, we are restored into fellowship with one another. So, sin has a devastating effect on community, on relationships. But the gospel of Jesus Christ has this transformational effect on community. So when Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, right after talking about the works of the flesh, he goes on to the fruit of the Spirit. And just as the works of the flesh are sins committed with and against other people, the fruit of the Spirit are manifestations of the life of God in you demonstrated in community. You can't just go off to a monastery and isolate yourself and demonstrate fruit like love or joy, or patience, or kindness, or goodness, or faithfulness, or gentleness, or self-control. You demonstrate those in relationship with other people. So here's where we're going in this season of Make and Multiply. I want to tackle... So those social sins and interpersonal issues that break down and destroy community, but the way I want to do that is by working through the one another commands of Scripture. Uh, the New Testament is full of these commands we call one another commands because they describe the way we are to relate to and interact with one another. For example, Romans 12.10, outdo one another in showing honor, or James 5.16, confess your sins to one another. Ephesians four two, bear with one another. 1 Peter 4.9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. All of these commands about our relationship to one another in gospel community. So by coming at it this way, we'll address all kinds of other antisocial sins, taking offense, bitterness and uh, anger, sins of the tongue, all kinds of things. Uh, but I want to start in this episode with the... Most frequently repeated one another command, which won't be any surprise to you. Uh, it's the command to love one another. That that language, love one another, is found almost two dozen times in the New Testament. And if you count all of the verses that speak of loving your neighbor instead of love one another, essentially means the same thing. That that's nearly another dozen occurrences. So we're talking like three dozen times the New Testament is talking about loving one another or loving your neighbor. What exactly does that mean? I want to look at two passages in the time that we have left. Romans 13, 8 through 10. Uh, Paul makes a point very similar to what he says in Galatians 5 when he's talking about sin being cannibalistic, and he makes the point that the entire law is summed up in one word or one command, love your neighbor as yourself. He says the same thing in his letter to the Romans, and he says a little bit more. He says this, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, and then he gives some examples, he cites a few of the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Paul says love fulfills the entire law. First thing he says in verse 8 is that love is what you owe to everyone. Uh, w- one way to define justice is giving people what they deserve, giving each person their due, what you owe them. And Paul says here that this is what you owe to every single person to love them. That's what God commands of you. So this is your duty, this is your obligation to love every single person. Um, Love is what you owe to everyone. And love fulfills the law, which is really important because it tells us, it points us toward the definition of love. It, It means that love is defined for us objectively in God's word, in God's law. It's been revealed to us. So you're not left with your own feelings. You're not left with subjective standards. You're not left guessing what the loving thing to do is you have God's word and you are to read that and study that and know that because it defines for you what love is. Love is not defined by feelings. It's not defined by your feelings. It's not defined by the feelings of the one that you're loving. It's defined by God and revealed in his word for you. So that's really clarifying. One of my favorite definitions of love is from an author who says, love is treating others lawfully from the heart treating others lawfully. So Paul says in Romans 13, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Or in Galatians 5, after he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he says against such things there is no law. So when you are loving another person, you are acting lawfully toward that person from the heart. So when Paul says in verse nine, Romans 13, verse nine, he he cites a few examples, picks out, I think it's four of the, um, four or five of the 10 commandments. And then he adds, and every other commandment, any other commandment you can find in the old Testament is summed up in this command, love your neighbor. So, Let's take a couple examples. Deuteronomy 22.8 gives this command, When you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof, that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house, if anyone should fall from it. That sounds strange to us. A parapet would be like a a fence or a a border wall. But picture the Israelites living in houses with flat roofs in a climate where um, in the evening they would go up on the roof to escape some of the heat, get some fresh air, some, some airflow. And God gave them this command, when, when you build a house, put a fence around the roof. Well, we don't have fences on our roofs, but we do have fences on our decks. Uh, we have railings, uh, fences around pools. And, and so Paul says any command you take, a very practical command like that, is just a, a specific instance uh, giving an example. This is how you treat others lawfully. This is how you love others. This is how you act In love toward your neighbor, you take steps like this to protect them when they're on your property. Or Deuteronomy 22:1 gives this command: You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and ignore them. You shall take them back to your brother. That's inconvenient. Uh, If you see somebody's lost dog, you might want to think, "Not my problem. Not my dog. Not going to deal with it." But this command says treating others lawfully means that you don't get to just ignore it. You go out of your way to uh, bring that, re- return that stray animal to its owner. So, all of that to say, love is a very specific thing. Um, it's practical, it's acted out, it's worked out in our relationships with people. It's so much more than uh, feelings of warm fuzzies or feelings of attraction. These are the people I like, and therefore I love them. Love is way, way deeper, way more meaningful, way more practical than that. Although, as that definition says, love is treating others lawfully from the heart. So it's not going about this in a begrudging, resentful kind of way, but actually wanting to, wanting to treat others lawfully as God has defined in his word. And so love fulfills the law. This, by the way, clarifies how it's possible to love one's enemies. That sounds so weird because we think, how could you uh, like somebody who is treating you wrong? Or um, how could you trust somebody who's m- mistreating you? Well, it doesn't say that you trust them or that you like what they're doing, but you are required to tr- still continue to treat them lawfully which means you don't slander them. You don't act vengefully toward them. Um, you continue to act lawfully toward them as defined by God's word. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love fulfills the law. Romans thirteen eight through 10. Uh, another passage that gives a lot of clarity and definition to love which is so needed because of how distorted the word love is in in our minds and in our our culture today, uh, is the passage 1 John 3, 6 through 18. And John says this, By this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone is the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed, and in truth. So again, like Paul, John is saying love is not just words or talk. It's not just feelings. It's deed and it's truth. It's deed. It's acted out and it's it's in truth. So it's defined by an objective standard, which is God's word, God's law. And And John points us to the ultimate display of love which is Jesus Christ laying down his life for us. And and John says, this is how we know love. This is how we know what it is, what it looks like. He laid down his life for us. So in doing so, Jesus fulfilled the law, which is why we have hope that it's possible for us to love others because Jesus himself fulfilled the law, died in our place for our sin against the law, failing to fulfill the law. And by his death and his blood and his resurrection, all of our law breaking, all of our sin against God and against each other is atoned for, paid for. And all of Jesus' fulfillment of the law, all of his righteousness is credited to us so that God counts us as righteous. He justifies us. He declares that our sins are forgiven. He reconciles us to himself. And the new covenant promise, he, he puts a new heart within us, a heart that d- desires to walk in his ways uh, from the heart. And so we look at Jesus at the cross that's where our salvation is accomplished. And then John says, now we know that this is how we should treat each other. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So we could define love uh, another way. Uh, On the one hand, love is treating others lawfully from the heart, or another way to put it is that uh, love is self-sacrifice for the good of another. Love is laying down your life for somebody else it's defined there so then john gives this example if you have the world's goods and you see somebody in need if god's love is in you you would be inclined to lay down your life or give up some of your goods for that person to meet that need so love is self-sacrifice for the good of another love is treating others lawfully from the heart those who are in gospel community with one another are learning to live this out by faith in the day-to-day stuff of life, um, the messes of conflict and hurts and offenses and miscommunications. And that's what God is doing among us. It is an incredible thing. It's a glorious thing to be a part of, to think that God has redeemed us by His grace, and now by His Spirit and His Word, He is making us into the kind of people who treat one another this way and who treat our enemies in this way so that he would be glorified in us, that others would see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. So that's the first one another command. Love one another. Thanks for listening to Make and Multiply. If you have questions about anything related to discipleship huddles, missional communities, or gospel fluency, please email me at ryan at And if you're not currently part of a huddle or MC, let me know and I would love to help you get connected.